As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of Athletic subscribers? Who wouldn't? Our lot are great. They're intelligent. They have demonstrably long attention spans for all of those long reads. And that means they're almost certainly the ABC ones you're looking for. Imagine your brand front and centre on the Totally Football Show. Or Talk of the Devils. Or Football Clichés. You can advertise with us now. Our highly skilled and effortlessly charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you whether you want a single ad on View from the Lane or full title sponsorship on our Women's World Cup show. We've got something for everyone. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea continue to attack the transfer market with gusto. Knocked out the Youth Cup, that's bad for the brand. And the women's team sweep aside Liverpool in the FA Cup. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts. And ad-free on The Athletic, this is straight out of Cobham. Here we are then, listen, a strange weekend, wasn't it? No game for the Chelsea men's first team, but still loads for us to talk about, of course. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of the Athletics' finest. Simon Johnson's with us. Morning, Simon. Is it? Yeah, morning, everyone. <laughs> morning, and unbelievably still January as well. Uh, Liam Toomey's back with us too. How are you doing, Liam? I'm good, I'm good. Trying to decide whether I'm an Enzo or a Gusto man. <laughs> yeah, you might have to be both, uh, it would appear. More on that imminently. No men's first team game, as I say, this weekend, but plenty of Chelsea action. We'll discuss that later, but first, news. Well, as if purely to ensure that the Athletic have enough Chelsea-related content to fill a matchless weekend, the Blues announced the signing of Malo Gusto from Lyon on Sunday. The 19-year-old France under-21 international will spend the rest of the season in his home country before linking up with his new club in the summer. Uh, initial £26.3 million, Simon. Loan back for the rest of the season. Was the point not to have backup for Rhys James now? Does, does this mean that, that James is close to a return? Oh yeah, Reese is always close to return. He was um, thankfully the the knee injury suffered last time. What was not as bad as first feared. They obviously took, have taken their time though, not to rush him back. I think this little two week break has helped. 
So there is a bit of optimism that, that it will feature against Fulham on, on Friday. But yes, of, of course, in an ideal world, Gusto would be part of the squad now. But Leon were pretty insistent and it was part of the negotiation that they, they didn't want to lose in mid-season. And so Chelsea, um, to get their man of, of compromise, which I think is that if you want to get the player done, then then it's a small... It's not like Chelsea are uh, fighting on all four fronts like they were last season and, and are desperate. Of course, the reason he's being signed is to is to give Rhys James a bit of a bit of a break, bit of a rotation, manage his games a bit more, but perhaps Grand Potter will do that anyway. Although the fixture list isn't going to be as intense as it normally is at, at this time of the season. Not just this time of the season, Liam, but potentially next season as well. If Chelsea don't qualify for European competition, they're obviously going to have at least six fewer games than they would. And, and this season they've gone out of both domestic cups at the first hurdle. Do you think that made it a, a tougher sell for Gusto, just in so much as, well, there might not be as many games where we need to rest Rhys James next season? Or, or do you think the player's just going to back himself to say, oh, I believe I can get in the first team anyway? Yeah, I can I can see why people might think that, but we never got the impression, uh, maybe Simon can tell us more, but we never got the impression that personal terms were an issue here. Um, that It didn't seem to be a difficult sell to the player at all. It was all about finding a price and finding a time frame for this transfer that Leon were prepared to accept and eventually Chelsea had ticked both boxes. I did think generally that it would be quite a tricky sell to canvas the transfer market for Reese James backup. Yeah, come come here and sit on the bench whenever Reese James fit. But it's maybe a slightly easier sell to a nineteen year old that you're giving a big pay rise to, who maybe will be more prepared to come in and play the odd game here or there and, and get a run of games whenever James is, is unfit or injured or whatever. Maybe in a couple of years, if Gusto develops the way that Chelsea hope he does, maybe it becomes an issue then because you think he'd start seeing himself as, I should be first choice, if not here, then somewhere. But that's a problem for later. And I think what Chelsea have done, I say this with the caveat of having never seen Malo Gusto play <laughs> in my life, Um he does seem to be the kind of profile of right back they were looking for. Very attack minded, very athletic, technically good, has the ability to to impact games in the final third. In other words, he can he can do a passable impression of Reese James when Reese James isn't there. Um, and that's what Chelsea have been looking for. And I, th- I think the encouraging thing about this is that they were prepared to do this deal now, even though they don't get him until the summer because they were convinced it was the right player. They weren't just determined to get any player any right back just to get someone in this window, which is maybe something we would have seen in, in the under the old regime. Uh, Enzo Fernandez, Simon, I know you're off to Cobham shortly after we finish recording the pod. I wonder if you've got flight tracker up as well, looking at <laughs> small planes from Surrey to, to Lisbon today. David Ornstein reporting in The Athletic that Chelsea might now be prepared to pay the release clause if the payment terms are right. This one's going to go down to the wire by the looks of it, because we're what? effectively hours away from the window shutting. Yeah, it feels like this has been the transfer that's just gone on and on and on all, all January. If, if Chelsea end up with their man, I, I'm sure Chelsea fans will, won't care that it's dragged on to the 11th hour. But but yeah, the the goalposts have moved. I did say in last week's pod that it was going to have to take one party to, to shift their mindset for anything to develop. And, and it looks like Chelsea are are trying to uh, renegotiate what they'd already offered. I mean, the first uh, 
I was told that they'd gone up to about 85 million earlier in the month, which obviously is is close, but wasn't close enough as far as Benfica were concerned. But it was never dead. It wasn't like Chelsea's interest had, had gone away. Obviously, they've they've looked at the possibility of Casado. There's still part of me that wonders if the Enzo thing breaks down again, whether they move move back in and try and compete with Arsenal for him. I just think a lot could, is going to happen over the next, well, by the time this goes out, it's going to be within the last uh, 36 hours. So, yeah, it could be a, an amazing announcement or there could be nothing. You know, I think Chelsea fans should be braced for all possibilities as as is a sort of blander sort of answers that might be. I just think it's that kind of negotiation. Benfica have been very insistent all along about the release clause. Um, I think they, they were prepared to include players in it earlier in the month. Um, certainly, I, I was told that there was sort of some talk of players going the other way, either on loan or permanently. So again, maybe maybe that will come back into the, into the equation, but I think fundamentally Benfica would would love Chelsea's money all uh, all up front, but but let's see what happens. What do you think, Liam? Do you think this one's going to get over the line? And, and are Chelsea so keen to do it because of what we talked about earlier and, and the potential of not being able to offer Champions League or maybe even not being able to offer Europa League football next season? I think if they're prepared to offer in the region of 120 million euros, which the information seems to suggest that they are a lot more willing to go up to that level now than they were earlier in January, then this has a very live chance of happening. I don't know if it will, because I think there's probably a lot of details and variables that we don't know about yet. But if they're prepared to go into that to that level of, of bid, then as far as Benfica are concerned, I think there will be a real conversation to be had. I still think it's extremely unlikely that they go through the avenue of activating the buyout clause just because of what we know about that, that it would have to be accounted for an FFP all in one go. I just don't see with the other spending Chelsea have done, I don't see how that's remotely workable. As for doing this deal now, as opposed to the summer, David Ornstein reported in his column, I think there's an element of Chelsea being worried about rival suitors coming in for Fernandez if they wait um, until the end of the season when of course those rival suitors may have Champions League football to offer and, and Chelsea probably won't Chelsea clearly know he wants to come well you, you don't you don't keep going back or you don't sort of give up on the deal unless you've got pretty strong encouragement that despite his uh, public sort of display when he played for Benfica soon after the the first attempt collapsed and pointing at the badge and all that nonsense that he was committed. No, I mean, they they obviously know that he, he wants to come. So let's see. I, I, can, I can see the old uh, deal sheet. Who knows? That might be sort of wheeled out again. Um, and Sky Sports yellow ticker uh, going crazy on, uh, on Tuesday evening. So Fernandez wants to come to Chelsea. Producer Lucy rightly asking the question, does that mean, well, not does that mean, but does Caicedo want to go to Arsenal or does he just not want to stay at Brighton? Do we know that? I think Caicedo wants a big move. And I noticed that his statement was very careful to leave out. I want to go to, it it was, yeah, I I want to take up this magnificent opportunity, insert club name here. That's what that statement felt like. Because I don't think he's, 
I doubt his representatives want to be boxed into a corner. They know Arsenal and Chelsea are both interested to a significant level. And either one is is a magnificent opportunity in the sense of a higher football level, but also, you know, a massive pay rise and big money for everyone concerned. So I doubt Caicedo would say no to either, put it that way. I think the statement should have said, I want to go to London. <laughs> <laughs> or Liverpool or Manchester. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. Well, what we should quickly point out is um, Andy Nalu covers Brighton for us. Um, continues to be very adamant that Brighton aren't selling him this month. So is it, will player power win? Um, obviously, Casale's made his intentions pretty clear, but is this part of Brighton's negotiation tactic? But yeah, Andy's really nailed his colours to the mast and saying he's going nowhere. And if you're Brighton, you sort of just think, well, you know, th- this could be one of their best seasons ever. You know, FA Cup run, chance of um, qualifying for Europe. Um, why not dig your heels in? It's not like the offers are going to go anywhere in uh, in the summer. You can always uh, get more bids in the summer. So, yeah, it'd be it, for Brighton's sake, I, I hope they do keep him, actually, because I think they're playing fantastic stuff. Even better football, might, might I add, than they had under their previous coach. <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends what kind of attitude Caicedo takes to it whether he Anthony Gordon's it or whether he just um, decides to stick it out for this season uh, somebody who's not going to be playing in Chelsea's midfield for the rest of this season Simon is Cesare Cassaday looks like he's going on loan to Reading uh, star for the under 21s for the first half of the season I'm guessing this was always the plan right let him acclimatise to, to living in England and then if he does that and does okay second half of the season he can go on loan yes yeah that was um, yeah when I wrote about him in what was it September October yeah, that was the plan. It was he could have actually gone on loan straight away when they signed him, but the, the club decided no. Let let's ingratiate him in the club so he gets to know, get a feel for the place. Because it it would be a bit weird, wouldn't it, if you sign for a club and then almost Thibaut Courtois, if 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 I can mention his name anymore, like it's a bit like Voldemort, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, he, he was signed and then like 24 hours later he was gone to Atletico Madrid it's, it was a bit weird but um, no Casadai and I think from what I've seen he looks a good he does look a good player I, I just hope that he gets lots of um, first team football because that, that's what loans are all about um, but yeah he's a very smooth player very good in the air but he's obviously got to go prove himself out. He's, he's wasted in PL2, to be honest. There's, there's a few players that that are too good for PL2 and I think we may be seeing some more loans agreed over the next sort of 24, 36 hours. Um, who would you include in that? Maybe Amari Hutchinson, Harvey Vale. What about David Fafana? What about Slanina? Might see some of those guys leave as well. Um, Amari is, is definitely one of the candidates to go on loan. Fafana can't, I think, because he's played for for two clubs unless he goes to goes to state. I don't think Slanin is going anywhere. Um, Harvey Vale also can't because of the Papa Johns. He played in the Papa Johns and for Hull City. So unfortunately, he can't go anywhere. I need to look this up, but there might be a loophole with Fafana because it was technically last season. Ah, of course, yes. Because of their season schedule, I think he might be able to play for another club this year. But I'm not 100%. We have to check that out. 
right, we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, Jude Soonsup Bell off the Spurs permanently, it would seem. Um, this is one that we, we've, we've been expecting him to leave, right? He's, he's been linked with a, a move away. His contract's been running out, but we didn't hear of Spurs as a, a potential destination for him. But it seems that's done and dusted. Yeah, he's having a medical um, Monday morning. Um, so, in fact, it's about half an hour uh, as we're recording this um, from what I've been told. Yeah, I reported early in the month that he, he was going to leave. Very surprised to see him on the bench on Friday in the uh, the PL2 game against West Ham. I was like, well, what's all that about? But apparently it was just essentially just to fill the spot. He didn't come on, which spoke volumes again. And he's barely played this, this season for for the PL2 team. Um, and so, yeah, he's going to Tottenham for no fee, even though he's got sort of five, six months left of his contract. And, of course, he's been at Chelsea since the age of 12, um, so normally there's some kind of all training fee, um, either the clubs agree it or it goes to tribunal, but no, there's, there's no fee at all. But Chelsea have inserted a, a large sell-on clause. So if, if he does well at Spurs or does reasonably well and then he's sold for big money later on, Chelsea will get a good, good cut of that. But it's quite sad how it's all worked out. I mean, when you think that 13 months ago he made his, he made his senior debut at Brentford, um, he was very highly rated by the academy, and it just seems that there's been a bit of a a schism, let's say. He didn't agree an extension to his contract, and and Chelsea have moved on. And uh, let, let's just hope he, he goes on to kick on and, and fulfil his potential, because a few years ago he was being talked about as a very uh, hot rising prospect. Yeah, well, it's been a busy few days for the Chelsea academy, not just transfer-wise. We'll tell you what they've been up to on the pitch next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of the Athletic Football Podcast. It's the final week of January, and uh, that sound you can hear is clubs frantically trying to get deals over the line before the deadline closes on Tuesday night. Uh, myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, and our raft of club experts will be all across the biggest moves this week, and we'll discuss the fallout when the window shuts. So just search for the Athletic Football Podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your pods. Well, Simon was at the Abbey Stadium on Thursday night to see Chelsea exit the Youth Cup 
at the fourth round stage. They lost 1-0 to Cambridge United. Simon, give us some, some context as to the magnitude of this result upset-wise, because as listeners might expect, there's a bit of a difference in the academies of Chelsea and the academy of Cambridge United. Yeah, well, the easiest way to sum it up is Chelsea ranks as a Category 1 academy and Cambridge United a Category 3, which, which already gives you an indication that there's quite a disparity. But as you'd expect, you know, uh, in 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 resources, uh, coaching, etc. But you wouldn't have noticed the disparity on Thursday night. Um, it was a poor performance by the under-18s in what looks like perhaps being Ed Brand's last game in charge, um, connected with the Swindon job, as in assistants, Jody Morris. Cambridge were fantastic. I mean, in fairness to them, they had a great run in the Youth Cup last season. They got to the, the fifth round. I think they did they lose to Forest, Matt. I'm, I'm trying they to surely think. did. I was about to tee you up for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see your face twitching, just desperate to get Forest into this podcast again. Um, but Cambridge were fantastic. And the atmosphere, you know, there was about there's just over a thousand there. And the way they celebrated at the final whistle, it was very much get the youth cup it was it felt very sort of fa cup esque you know giant killing the players jumping around they you could some of them collapsed to the ground some of them were jumping in each other's arms and it, it was lovely to see and uh, for me the the mad thing was um just having this random chat with this this guy who turns around he, he was actually talking about one of the chelsea players and and he goes yes yeah, so i oh no it's one of my impressions again yes Yes, I, I played against Chelsea in the Youth Cup in the 1960s. Like, and um, then he whipped out this match day programme and it had um, John Hollins and Ron Harris in the team, which uh, for, for any older listeners, they'll know that, that Ron Harris and John Hollins had fantastic and very long Chelsea careers. Ron Harris, the all-time leading appearance maker. I did did ask him if Ron Harris, who was known as Chopper because of his... Um, uh, tendency to let's just say put in a tackle which might not always be legal um i did say did did ron harris uh chop any people down that that day and uh a day which chelsea actually won that game and uh he just said no i just remember him uh just bombing around midfield at the time but anyway fascinating anecdote over um yeah it was it was very disappointing for chelsea you've, you've now gone five years without without winning the youth cup and i calculated that as I wrote in the piece, that for the, the senior team, in terms of League Cup and the FA Cup, as well as the, the under-18s FA Youth Cup, this is the first time that the club have been out of all three before February since 1989-90 season. So it was great to be there to see history being made <laughs> in the freezing cold. It's a good job we've got such a good women's team. Uh, we'll hear about how they got on in the uh, their FA Cup tie later. Liam, as we record on Monday morning, Swindon, who might be the slowest at actually publishing news about their own football club of any football club in England, are yet to confirm that Jodie Morris uh, will be their new manager with Ed Brand as assistant. But they were both seen at their game with Gillingham on Saturday. I think we can assume that that is what's going to happen. What do you make of this as a, as a landing spot for Morris? Obviously, uh, Lampard's assistant at Chelsea, 
Chelsea, but didn't follow him to, to Everton. I think he's certainly applied for and, and been interviewed for a, a lot of jobs as a number one, many of them a bit higher than, than where Swindon are. Interesting for him. Obviously, he played a bit in the lower leagues, didn't he? But it's going to be a, a different challenge to him from you know coaching at, at Chelsea's academy or, or working with the first team at Derby or whatever. This is real kind of muck and nettles football down in, uh, down in League Two. With the caveat that I don't know particularly much about what he's inheriting at Swindon, I think Morris is is well worth this opportunity. He's been on the lookout for a number one position for a long time, very keen to make his own way in management. He was very, very close to getting the Swansea job in particular. I think it was a 50-50 choice between him and Russell Martin for them, Um, and they eventually went with Martin. That was about a year, year and a half ago, I think. And he didn't just do a good job with Chelsea's academy. He did an amazing job. I think they won about seven trophies. He had a great group of players to work with, of course. But you've seen with what the under-18s have done since, it hasn't been up to the same standard. And I think that reflects well on his ability to to set up and, and manage a team, particularly young players. He was also one of the biggest champions, as you would expect, uh, next to Lampard, of those academy boys and, and creating that pathway into the first team at Chelsea. So it'll be interesting to see what he does at Swindon, particularly what kind of platform he might give to to the young talent they have or whether his Chelsea connections might might help him secure a couple of loanies here and there. We know that helped Lampard at Derby at the start. So yeah, I'll be keeping a close eye on him and, and Ed Brand too. Uh, he's already got Marcel Lavinier there, who we'll know from uh, the Chelsea Academy days. And at the other end of his career, Charlie Austin, still banging him in. Uh, Simon, you are something of a curse on the Chelsea Academy. <laughs> just, no, just, just, just end that sentence at Chelsea. <laughs> so you went to see the under-21s on Friday night, unbeaten <laughs> since August, top of the league, absolutely flying, off the back of your brilliant interview with Mark Robinson. What happened against West Ham, Simon? I was given a lifetime ban. <laughs> brilliant game it was a brilliant game uh, yes Chelsea lost their unbeaten record um, wasn't my fault Gov uh, defensively Chelsea were awful I also was very surprised that West Ham were I think 11th in PL2 at time of kickoff or something they looked much better team than that or it's the classic cliche of, of they raised their game for, for the big one Chelsea clearly missed uh, Bashir Humphreys for example, um, obviously Liam, Liam's story about him getting a pad of ball on loan. Yeah, they weren't good at the back. But in fairness, they could have easily nicked a point. I mean, the, West Ham's keeper made some phenomenal saves. There was also a couple that sort of may have gone to VAR in the pro game, or goal line technology rather, because they seem, seem to be very close to going over the line, and and but wasn't given. But... Um, but yeah, disappointing, disappointing defeat. Um, so yeah, for me, it was a glorious 24 hours of watching the academy lose. But no, Chelsea, uh, PL2-wise, will, will be fine. Harvey Vale came off uh, the bench in the second half. And not that he's come back to boost Chelsea's chances of winning PL2, but he undoubtedly will because... He's not had much football this season, but he looked very, very sharp. Um, assisted goal and looked very dangerous. So, um, yeah, I, I'm confident that was just a blip. 
Yeah, probably not ideal for Harvey Vale, but nicer for Chelsea that they're bringing him back in the team to try and help them win the title rather than to avoid relegation, which was the situation that they were in last year. Uh, right, you thought we wouldn't have much to talk about today, listener. Uh, strap in, there's more. Chelsea women tried to make a game against Liverpool last longer than six minutes on Sunday. We'll find out if they were successful in that endeavour next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Charles hangs the block towards Sam Kerr and there is a Sam Kerr hat-trick a very very familiar sight seeing Sam Kerr connect with the ball and it find its way into the back of the net another Neve Charles assist a good afternoon's work for Chelsea and especially Chelsea's number 20 Sam Kerr bags a brilliant hat-trick here at Kings Meadow a place in the fifth round at stake between Chelsea and Liverpool then here's our own Jesse Parker Humphreys to tell us what went down at Kings Meadow and breathe uh, what a very energetic game uh, Chelsea make it into the next round of the FA Cup thanks to a 3-2 win over Liverpool Chelsea made this way harder of themselves than they needed to I think in the end um, Sam Kerr hat-trick uh, but she could have had six to be honest um, some great opportunities she went through one-on-one and somehow managed to put it wide a couple of misplaced headers and then Liverpool got two goals back one from Kerry Holland from the edge of the area and then some very uh, strange defending from Chelsea uh, saw Gemma Bonner um, bring one back too so a bit of a nervy finish to the game but some some bright stuff for Chelsea as well. Liverpool just really seemed to rattle uh, this Chelsea team for for some reason. Um, I mean, all of this game has obviously been overshadowed. <laughs> Not overshadowed, I guess, but <laughs> maybe usurped by the news that uh, broke on Saturday night uh, that Chelsea had supposedly put in a bid for Arsenal left-back, left-winger Katie McCabe. McCabe's been at Arsenal for eight years and is someone who, before this news broke, would have seen been seen as a total mainstay uh, of that club. But Chelsea, yet yeah, reportedly having an offer of around £175,000 for McCabe, rejected. She's got 18 months left on her contract. I mean, left-back is a position that Chelsea have been looking to strengthen for a number of seasons now. Um, so... The transfer would make sense for them in terms of getting, you know, a quality 27-year-old, a leader. She's uh, the Republic of Ireland captain. But for Arsenal, I just don't really see them letting her go at all. I mean, it would certainly be kind of unheard of if we're in the midst of a title race, Arsenal to let go of one of their most important players, particularly with the number of injuries they've already got in their squad. But, you know, apparently Chelsea are going to keep pushing until the end of the transfer window, uh, which is on Tuesday. So, uh one to keep an eye on and maybe something that, you know, even if it doesn't happen this month, could pop up again in the summer. Jesse will be back to defend their quiz crown on Thursday. All right, so we are about done for today. 
Um, Liam, I'm guessing that for you, for Simon, for everybody who is a writer for The Athletic, the next 24 to 48 hours are going to be busy slash unpleasant. Is it transfers <laughs> all the way or have you got anything else you're working on? Well, no, I mean, it's Enzo watch number one, isn't it? Um, whether that deal gets done, I think will define all of our workloads um, for the next 48 hours or so. We're working on a bigger piece to run after the window's closed, which is, as you might expect, the story of Chelsea's transfer window. And that will also be heavily conditioned by whether this Enzo deal ends up happening or not. So so I haven't written much of it yet, (laughs) as as you might imagine. And that will also focus quite heavily on how on earth can Chelsea spend all this and make it work, which is a question a lot of people have been asking. A few people have, have kind of partly answered it already, but it's a big, big talking point. Simon, you're off to Cobham. Just after we finish recording, what are you getting up to there? Who are you speaking to? Yes, I'm going to interview Dave about his uh, 500 games for Chelsea. Um, obviously going to go into other strands of conversation but um but yeah I've probably been around for most of them <laughs> so perhaps one of my one of my key questions is why did he invite me into his ice bath on pre-season tour I, th- I think I I think uh I want because to find out say no I'm sure he'd, I'm sure he hoped I was relieved when I said no but um but yes now I'm looking forward to talking to Dave he's been an absolute legend for the club and uh Whilst people are sort of, there are there are strands of people that are sort of, well, perhaps he should have left when, when Barcelona came calling. I still think he's got a massive role to play um, with the way the club are. There's been so much change um, over the last 12 months. Um, I think it's good to have a voice from the previous era in that dressing room. All right, then, that will just about do us for today. Then we're going to be back on Thursday uh, when we'll be rounding up everything that happened in the transfer window in its closing hours. We will be looking forward to the game against Fulham. Remember, that's on Friday night this weekend. There'll be loads more to enjoy as well. Join us for that if you can. Until then, thanks to Simon, to Liam and to Lucy and to you for listening. Speak to you soon. Bye for now. 